But the boys are marching. Don't, don't sneak it out on me. You just keep it right in there, son. Don't get, don't get excited here. Tramp, tramp, tramp. The boys are marching. Marching. Something, something for the shortman breath. Oh, buddy, please. Oh. I think we ought to salute McGraw Hill tonight. <laughs> offensive to many of you, and I have a suggestion for you, but uh, you know how it is, it's radio. So many things are offensive to all of us. I think Philadelphia's got a bird. Hey, listen, I'd like to salute Philadelphia before we start here tonight. It kind of makes New York feel a little bit, you know, New York's had the, there's been a fantastic spate of uh, New York uh, welfare stories, you know. Every couple of days there's some fantastic scene of some guy living in the top floor of the Taj Mahal. You know, welfare, New York sent him there, you know, he couldn't find a room. That kind of stuff there, you know. And uh, Philadelphia's doing this one better. i got to admit Philadelphia. When Philadelphia does it, it does it with flair. You know, kind of a real dildock flair. The Philadelphia, the agency that administers welfare for suburban Delaware County, bought belly dancing lessons for a re- relief recipient at a cost of $1,300. That's 1300 bucks. The Philadelphia Inquirer, one of the great humor papers of America, said in its Sunday edition that the woman, a widowed mother of five, took the courses, 1300 bucks worth of belly dancing courses, and flunked her audition, which is the worst part of it all. Give me a little American music there, son. A little American type there, please. And so tonight, we'd like to salute the city of brotherly love as it marches forward into the 20th century. You're going to like it here in the 20th century, Philly. Say goodbye to the 19th century as our ship sails out into the vast, soundless, wine-dark sea out over the tossing oceans of adversity as 20th century men bid you welcome. So, Philadelphia, hail and farewell. And uh, it is with a tear in our eye as we, who know Philadelphia best, now know that Philadelphia has plenty left the 19th century behind. Yes, it's buying belly dance lessons for its welfare recipients. Goodbye, McKinley. Goodbye, Tam. Goodbye, Ben Franklin. You mind if I sit in here on my uh, nose flute, gang? Keep it up, big. I said all that there. 
Hooray for the U.S. of A. Listen, uh, I just... Uh, once in a great while, I just have to do this. I, I'm... Uh, I, you can probably tell there's a little note of the manic in my... my uh, elfin tones tonight. You notice that, gang? Well, I have just... Uh, climb the pinnacle of showbiz. You know, I love showbiz. I can't remember being anything else but in showbiz. But, you know, you get to the point where, you know, you just, you just eat it and breathe it. You know, you walk all the way. I, I've just uh, climbed the pinnacle of showbiz. I've just returned from participating in the Pro-Am, the Tony Lima Memorial Pro-Am, believe it or not. That's right. You know, what is it, a pro-am golf tournament? You know, the kind of thing that Glenn Campbell's always doing, giving up that guitar jazz, all he's just doing on. He and Dean Martin, it's a traveling golf circus, you know. Well, I, uh, I've finally joined the crowd, and I just got back from playing in the Tony Lima Memorial Pro-Am. Now, pro-am refers to professional amateur. I don't have to point out which one, which department I was in there, but, uh, uh, <laughs> and, and you'll never guess who my partner was in the pro-am. You know, they draw him out of a hat or something. It's great. You never know who you're going to be playing with, see, and the, the 5,000 guys tee off, and there's 18 million people on the golf. Oh, it's really it's really very exciting to go around and play golf with all the people watching you. You know, not 12,000 people, and it can be extremely embarrassing. I saw one guy teed up his ball, you know, and he was a pretty good golfer, see. He teed up on the second hole there, and... This tremendous crowd watching him. And I was playing in the same foursome with this guy, see? And you, you look real intrepid. You know, when you're playing in the in something like the, you know, the Pro-Am. Like this was the Tony Lima Memorial Pro-Am. It's a big Pro-Am down there in Marco Island, Florida, seeing a fantastic golf course. Oh, just like the stuff you see in, the, you know, the shell wide, wide world of golf or whatever that thing is where Jim Jim keeps reporting from Garmisch Partenkirchen, you know. And uh, it was the whole bit. TV cameras, they're all out there, see. And uh, so I had to go all the way out. I got myself a golf glove. Got one of these gloves. You know, I really meant it. I, I said I want, I want a pair of them golf gloves. And I really got bugged. I only got one glove. I got only one. It just, you know, so I said, there's, there's something wrong here. I only have one glove in the package, and lady. She says, well, that's where they come. I said, well, okay. I mean, if Arnold Palmer was good enough for Arnie, it's good enough for old Shep, you know. So I, I put this golf glove on. It was great looking when, you know, it had birds on it and everything. It had little, yeah, it really had snaps and buttons all over the thing. So, and I had these special shoes, you know. Just, I like playing golf tournaments because you wear these great shoes, you know. It's got a thing that flops down. It has, had a big crest on the front of it. It says memorial to participant in the golf tournament. Yeah, it had, it set on my shoes. It really did. And gold letters, didn't it? Sent in my shoes and gold letters that I was a pro-am. So that's right. And so I went out there on the course, and they 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 had put up the pairings. It's very exciting, really is, you know. And uh, they put up the pairings on a great big board. You, have you ever seen the the big scoreboard they had? Uh, you know, this is a big thing. Thousands of people there. See, and I I I had this sick feeling that I had gotten myself involved in something that could be very very a very let's say ego destructive afternoon. And, you know, you know. At first, I thought it was just going to be a bunch of the boys out, you know, having a little fun. And I, I arrived at the golf course, and I could see there's a big line of cars and millions of people. And uh, they had two doors. One said, uh, you know, for people, people. And the other one said, uh, the celebrities, pro-am, see. That's right. 
so I, I walk through that gate, and every, everybody's cheering and yelling, oh, who's that one, who's that one? See, I walked real big, you know, and I got on my golf glove, and, and the people kept saying, how are you going to do today? Who, who, what are you, who are you? What picture do you make, huh? And I just spit on the ground, you know. That's big, so, you know, we don't, we don't mess around with it. What is it, the hoi polloi? And so I walk through the, yeah, isn't that a, isn't that a Hawaiian dish? So I'm like, I don't know how that got in the discussion. Hoi polloi, yeah, that stuff, they they have two-finger hoi polloi, three-finger hoi polloi, they eat it with pineapple or something, and roast pig. And uh, I walked through this whole line of people, and they're all cheering, see? And uh, there I looked up on the board to see who I'm going to be playing with today. There were all these pros and all that stuff, see? So uh, it, it, it didn't really say. It just said, you know, number, my, I was team number 14. So I go in there, and... I have my golf clubs, a fantastic bag of clubs. You know, 37 golf clubs. I even had little, great big golf clubs, you know, the kind that, uh, that have little handles that you twist on the top. It, it changes by three millimeters the, the angle of your, you, you, yeah, a four and a half club, you know, and in between the four and the five. Yeah, for very, very, very delicate uh, iron shots. So uh, I, I get my club, you know, it's out in the golf cart. And uh, I sit in the cart. See, I'm ready to go. My cart was number 17. It says, report to cart number 17. You're, you're teeing off at 11.08 a.m. So I walk out there, and the people are cheering. They're all being held behind ropes, you know. I, you know, all of a sudden there, I'm walking with the great gods of our time, you know, Dean Martin and all of Oh, you know, these great, great people. These are the people that are going to ring like great clarion bells throughout history. See, and I walk through the crowd, and I sit down in cart number 17, little cart there, see, waiting for my partner to come up. Well, this this uh, kind of beetle-browed guy finally comes up there, and he squats down next to me. He's my partner, see, he says, how are you? He says, okay. I said, uh, my name is uh, Shepard, you know. He says, yeah, yeah, I know, I saw it on the card there. It's my name is Unitas, John Unitas. I said, oh, yeah, what do you do, John? And uh, he said, oh, you know, I do the best I can. So what do you do? I said, well, you know, I scratch around here and there. And so um, <laughs> we shoved off. Oh, yeah. oh, when you're very cool, you do not ever recognize that your partner does anything except play golf. See, so we we take off to the, it was very embarrassing, we take off to the first tee, see, and so our pro was a guy named George Fazio, who's a famous old pro, you know, in the Masters and all, a real cool type. And there was a fourth guy. Guy named Robert Mackle. See, he's a very official, very official. He owned the golf course, actually. <laughs> That's right. So, how oh, I ever gotten that for him? I don't know. So, we get out there on the first. You, you, you want to hear the rest of the story? It's actually true. You know, I just got back. Let's see how bronzed I am. You know, saying, oh, well, I'm meaner than. Uh, I better not say it. Yeah, I'm meaner than that. Yes, sir. That's you know, we 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 guys that play the big time stuff. You get a hard, cold steel-like look about you. No, you know, the crowd, the roar and the cheers of the multitude mean nothing to us. So I walk out on the first tee, and uh, the pro tees off first. See, this is a kind of a... So they, they figured, you know, it's kind of a... Well, let's put it this way. It's kind of protocol, see. And so uh, he tees up, and he looks around. His first tee, see, the 12 million people there. So they hold them back by ropes. You know, Chris Schenko's sweating. He's talking about it. John, John, KK, and Jim, Jim, and all of them. All the guys with the cameras are going there. So Fazio steps up, and he lays one right down the middle of the fairway, 296 yards. You know, just beautiful shot, you know, on a 500-yard hole. 
And I said, well, I look around, and Fazio steps back and says, you're up. I said, ooh, uh, I look for Unitas, and Unitas is very busily uh, looking as though he's very carefully polishing all his clubs. He doesn't want to be the next guy up. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, there was. I walked right up there, see, and I stuck the tee in the ground. I walked around a little bit, see, and you know how you do. And, uh, of course, when you're playing in golf, you have, there's a special kind of uh, clothing that they wear in golf. It's a cross between pajamas and uh, the kind of stuff that all the Martys wear when they go to places like Miami Beach. You know, that kind of stuff. It's a kind of the, uh, the I don't know, it's it's a cross between extremely bad taste and moderately bad taste. It's a curious golf clothing. So I had these pink pants on they gave me. Their, oh, yeah, that's very important, you know. You, you just can go out there, you know, and play around. And so I'm out there with my fancy shoes and my gloves and all that stuff, see, and I walk right up to that ball and I hit it. You know, you you got to be mean. You just do it. And I hit that thing, see? And it was one of those great golden moments. There it is on the first tee. Shepard lines went out about 250 yards, you know? You, you saw that, see, right down the middle of the fairway. So Fazio looks at me and he says, what did you say your handicap was? I says, well, you'll find out. You'll find out what my handicap. Of course, my handicap is basically no talent, you know. And this for this for this boy. I don't know. I know. You keep doing that, honey. I only need to be told once. So anyway, I, I hit one way down the middle of the thing there, and then comes a terrible, embarrassing moment. Johnny Unitas tees up. Johnny Unitas, my partner. He's upholding, you know, our little team, and he swings at the ball. And I have rarely seen a shot of this type. I hope television caught it well. I don't know how he managed to do it on a drive. He hit the ball directly between his legs. Yeah, it just went right between his legs and behind him. And, uh, yeah, being the little old lady sitting back there with purple hair who was knitting a pair, what looked like a pair of booties for Arnold Palmer or something. And uh, he says, oh, excuse me. He says, a practice one. So he <laughs> puts another one down, and, and we were off. Well, I want to tell you... You, you, you begin to feel as you as you walk out. I just learned something about this this game. The the more you go out, and the more people are cheering. The more you begin to find yourself walking like like Tom Weisskopf. You know, you get that that the bemused look. You look up at the clouds and the birds and the people following you. And know, I look around and and the, <laughs> oh, it's a great, fantastic feeling. I'm going to give up this whole business. I'm going on a tour. That's the that's the life. I want to tell you. That is, yeah. This is WOR in New York. It's a great feeling. Although, uh, you know, I just slogged along there with the rest of them. I didn't do anything. And then then the, then the rumors began to filter back, see, that there was a, a pro up ahead of us. Bruce Devlin had shot a 67. Well, that was pretty hard to take. Uh, I didn't see how I could do that. See, I, some of the guys behind us shot that on maybe two or three holes, you know. And uh, <laughs> one great moment, though, you know, I'm down deep in a trap. There's thousands of people around. It's the one golden instant I had. You want to hear about my golden instant? Okay. Uh, now, most people's golden instant, I mean, the, the true golden moment in your life comes when you fight back from what appears to be total adversity. Do you agree? Fighting back from complete adversity, right? Well, Shepard puts one right smack in the middle of the biggest trap I ever saw. That trap looked like somebody had just lopped off part of the Sahara and dropped it right there. And then it was a deep one. See, so deep, I'm down in the trap, and I can't see anything except straight up. 
And the, yeah, that's right. I'm looking straight up in the air there. See, and I can I can hear the murmured, muffled crowd, and they're all waiting for me. The whole damn golf course is waiting for me. See, I got to get out of that trap. They don't let you just pick up. Oh, I give up. And they pick up a ball. You don't mess around. So I'm down in the trap. Well. Well, I, I, I had observed, you know, in one of those brief instances when I could actually see the green, I had, <laughs> I had observed <laughs> that, the, that, the, that the hole was about 400 feet on the other side of this gigantic green, which was roughly the size of Shea Stadium, you know. Yeah, and it was it was one of these real weird greens that was tilted up like this, you know, and it had, a, had the, all kinds of strange twists and turns to it. So Shepard's down deep in a tramp. And... Um, I am being followed by Gene Sarazen. That means I better get going because, you know, they don't, they don't want to mess around. So I'm down in this hole there, and George Fazio, the pro, comes over and he said, Listen. I said, Yes, Mr. Fazio. He said, uh, Call me George. I said, All right, George. He said, Look. He says, He says, You just hit that about one inch behind the ball. He said, Turn your club in. And he said, Give it all you got. So I will do that. And so he climbs back out of the trap, leaving me to my lonesome in the hole there, seeing there's nothing but this sand all around me. You know, you begin to contemplate your navel when you're deep in a trap about on the fifth hole of a pro-am tournament, and everybody but God is following you in the next foursome, you know, and there you are holding up the whole damn mess, you know, you're in the, they're waiting for you, see? Cameras are going. So I says, one inch behind, open, mm -hmm. turn the club in, all right. Well, here it goes. So I dug in, and boom, there's a great cloud of sand. I'm caught. The ball is gone. It's a big hole where my feet were there. You know, the ball is gone. And I'm still down there climbing up out of the trap. It's gone somewhere. When all of a sudden I hear the crowd go, fantastic roar of the crowd. Shepard comes over the lip of the of the trap, see? <laughs> and the crowd is cheering, throwing their hats in the air. Shepard is holed out from 70 yards out. The ball is going right in the hole. And I didn't say anything. I just walked over and plucked the ball out of the hole and, you know, tossed it up in the air a little bit. You know how Palmer does it, you know, and caught it on the way down. And I nodded a little to my caddy, and I walked off the green. I had seen plenty of this on TV. I knew exactly what you'd do, you know. The crowd cheered, and I could hear, Who's that? Who the hell is that? For God's sakes, what a shot! Oh, my God, did you see that shot? Blasted out of the trap, holding out somebody yet? I didn't say anything. I just quietly walked through the crowd and got in my cart with my buddy Unitas, and we went on. That's all there was to it. You just got to play it the way it is, man. Just play it the way it is. That's all you got to do. Just play it the way it is. You mind if I sit here play a little bit? That's a hold it, hold it there, hold it there, friend. That's a, ah, God, I tell you.
<laughs> Listen, we got a couple of spots here. First of all, we got one here. Let's see. It says, uh, when someone says reference book, do you think of a dull, dry book that you keep around the house in case somebody asks you to look something up? <laughs> what a description of a reference book. Well, anyway, the Book Find Club is offering just such a reference book. It's one that brings you pleasure and all kinds of groovy stuff in it for just $1 plus postage and handling. Atlantic Brief Lives, which is regularly 15 bucks. It contains over a thousand biographies of important peoples, literary figures, and uh, it's kind of a groovy book. So, to get your $15 volume of Atlantic Brief Lives, which is a famous book, by the way, for only $1 plus postage and handling, you can call OX7 right now, OX71535, for membership in the book Fine Club. And as a member, all you have to do is to buy two more books over a year's time. The Book Find Club has all kinds of great books at substantial savings. Uh, let's see. Send your name and address or no money. No money at all if you'd like to join the book. That's a famous thing. You know what the Book Find Club is. It? This is a special type of club. Oh, yeah, they have meetings. You know, they sit around talk about books they've found. No money. Just send your name and address to Book Find, W-O-R, New York, 10018. 10018. That's W-O-R. Or the number again is OX71535. <laughs> call them now. The people are on duty there. Yes, indeed. Remember the book Fine Club. I, I, I belong to a lot of great clubs. I love to go to the meetings of the Diners Club. We sit around. It's great, it's great meetings. It's, a, it's in an old abandoned Howard Johnson. They have the meetings of the Diners Club over in Jersey. Oh, yeah, once in a while, the, the, the great man himself comes and addresses us. Howie. Uh, the amazing flying bird that flies by flapping its wings. I'm still peddling those birds. Uh, d developed by G.D. Roimbeek. Roimbeek, a French inventor. And they're the worst kind. Inspired by the Leonardo da Vinci drawings of the ornithopter. It sounds really obscene. Oh, no, that's not a pornithopter. It's an ornithopter. There's a misprint here. I thought it was some great machine. Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> this one just flies. <laughs> Although I imagine a pornithopter would, too. Yes, sir. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's what happens when you play too much golf in the sun. <laughs> but these are great birds, really. I, some guy sent me a picture of his bird. He, he flew his bird over the top of a 747 at an airport. You know, and it shows it going right over the top of the surface. It says, Ornithopter establishes new flying altitude record. I hope it wasn't containing a bomb. The flying bird is a happy combination of many wonderful concepts. And I think you'll enjoy your little bird there. 16-inch wingspan. You just wind them up. It comes with a special extra rubber band in case you break the first one, like all slobs generally do. And then you put in the second one, and you know it. Then you learn their lesson right away. Huh? You wind it up and let her go. And it comes packed in a box with instructions and everything. In fact, they're, they're even working on a life-size model now, so you can fly. Get your friends to wind it up, and you climb in a cockpit and take off, the wings flapping. It's only three ninety-eight. New York State residents add tax, of course. You're in New York. <laughs> you add tax to the taxes here in this state. And uh, you can have your choice of a white dove or a yellow bird. And that's the beautiful one there. Send check or money order to Flying Birds. You know how to spell flying. Flying. You know how to spell flying. Flying Birds. Flying. F-L-I-N-G. Flying. Birds. B-U-R-D-S. Birds. Department S. 
And uh, it goes without saying that you know how to spell S. Post Office Box 199, Grand Central Station, New York, New York, 10017, and it is guaranteed to fly. Bump, ba dump, bump. That's exciting. Well, uh, here's what I decided to do, though, since, uh, you know, I've come back from this big tournament. Somebody call up and say, what'd you shoot? Is that what they said? What, are they, are they getting snotty out there again, huh? Oh, back of my hand to you. Yes, sir. I really enjoyed that, though. I must admit it. That, that, that was fun. I really did. And, you know, spending the whole afternoon. You know, we about halfway around... See, you know, I finally about halfway around about the eighth hole or so, you know, ninth hole, something like that, tenth hole. I'm, I'm walking along the fairway there with Unitas, and I said, hey, I said, come on, uh, what do you really do? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, what do you do? You're the guy used to own them United cigar stores or what? Oh, he says, no, that's United cigar stores. I said, oh, cigar business. How's the cigar business? He said, I'm not in the cigar business. I said, what do you do? You got a Greek restaurant? What do you do? And it really put him down. See, and all these people come running up. They, they keep asking for his, his autograph, see. And uh, finally, I started to say, well, you don't know who I am. And he says, who are you? I said, I'm Mickey Mantle. He says, really? He says, I thought he was playing back there with Bruce Devlin. I says, well, there's four Mickey Mantles. We're, you know, we're a syndicate now. I said, yeah, we're, I own the concession for South Jersey. La <laughs> hey, listen, I, uh, I came back. There's a whole pile of wild-looking mail here. I just, uh, just for tonight, I don't often do this. You want to hear uh, the typical kind, of, typical kind of mail I get? You really want to hear it? All right, all right, here. Now, I'm sitting here opening up the, all these letters, see, and I have, I have five, five little gnomies that work with me, see, and they throw out all the obvious crud letters, you know, the stuff that there's the thousands of them come in. And uh, they, they go into another department. I don't have anything to do with that. We have a recycling department here. And uh, it's a great big thing. Chews them all up and spits them out. Over there near Trenton somewhere they come up. I don't know where they come up. They just spit them over in that direction there. And uh, But that, that, all the rest of the stuff comes in. You know, it's great stuff. Here's, here's a typical letter. It says, Dear Shep, how the hell are you? All letters right is, you know, they're all friends. <laughs> they all think. Dear Shep, how the hell are you? It's been a long time since I wrote to you advising you that Ethelred the Unready is a misnomer. This guy, for all, uh, for a hundred years, I've been getting letters from this guy about Ethelred the Ready, or the Unready. Everybody's got a, a, a ding-dong out there that writes, you know, Shepard. Uh, it's been a long time since I wrote to you advising you that Ethelred the Unready is a misnomer. Now I come across the same error in an old Life magazine. I think you would do a vast public service and advise the people that it is Ethelred the Ill-Counseled. It is Ethelred the Ill-Advised. They've been bad-mouthing Ethelred the Ready, Unready now for over 250 years. This has got to stop. And he goes on to say, he says, I am not ready to swear about this Ethelred business. He says, but the memory of Ethelred should not be soiled. This is going too far. Ill-advised puts some, if not all, the blame for mistakes on the king's advisors. Whereas unready describes the king. It is actually Ethelred the unadvised. It's not Ethelred the unready. By the way, he was also a folk singer. Okay. That's one. Of, there's a typical letter. Dear Shepherd, your hometown is in the news. 
my home thing. Here's a clipping from my home. Hammond, Indiana. Polly put up a good fight, but burglars still got more than $1,000 in belongings and cash from the Patrick O'Meara residence here in Hammond, Indiana. This is my hometown. When police arrived, they found a trail of feathers leading to the door. Mrs. O'Meara said Polly, a 57-year-old parrot, usually was very talkative and friendly. Quote, with all the feathers around, he must have put up a good, good squabble. He fought him to the end, she said. Okay. That's the kind of stuff that comes to the mail. Dear Shepard, I'm working on a Boy Scout badge in the field of journalism. I would like to ask you a question and receive a reply by mail or by radio. Uh, dear Shepard, do you think if I work in uh, journalism, would it work if I got into the field of book publishing? Please reply. I think you ought to send that out to... McGraw Hill, I can tell you all about that. They have some very good journalists working for him. Here's another one here. It says, uh, Dear Shepherd, uh, I've been a shepherd cuckoo for a number of years until I reached the crisis of life. I was uprooted from my little New England town to spend my declining years in the Army at Fort Knox. <laughs> the declining years. He says, Damn it, there was no shepherd for miles. I thought I'd either die or throw myself under an M60A1E1. Next, I went to a military junior college so that I could obtain my commission. Again, there was no shepherd. People in Missouri just don't know the true bliss of life. Life was so bad, I finally got a friend of mine to take up me in a car. Took me up in a plane at night so I could catch WOR's wavelengths on the radio, up in his plane every night in his Cessna. Today, I'm happy. I went out and I bought the declassified Gene Shepherd record album, and I played in the barracks over and over and over and over again. I am very popular. He's a sergeant. He didn't make his commission, did he? I see that. He's in Fort, let's see, Fort Leavenworth, Lexington, Missouri. All right. Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Let's see. Dear Shepard, I'm writing to you for help with a strange problem. This is a typical... I, I, I'm not inventing these letters. You want to hear these letters? It's a great one. Listen to this. Dear Shepard, I am writing to you for help with a strange problem. I live with my brother. And the other day, while cleaning the attic, he came across an old toy rubber duck. The following day, he washed the dust and dirt off the duck and put it on his desk in the den for some type of camp decoration, I imagine, but it went a lot deeper than that. The next day, he showed up at breakfast with the duck, and later that evening, there it was at the supper table. This past week, he went to a party with the duck, and everyone there thought it was a gag, but I now know better. It has reached the point where he goes nowhere in the house, including the John, that his little rubber-beaked friend does not accompany him. P.S. I am doubly worried about this problem because he holds a top position in the NASA space program. All right. Well, we'll put that in their advisement. Yes, sir. Right. We'll send that on to our Q Downs department. It says, Dear Mr. Shepard, um... About two weeks ago, you announced on the air that you have a contest concerning a very mean equation. I believe when I heard this that my dream had come true. I have always been a fantastic sharp at math, and I had always wanted to win a contest. So I sat down and I started work. You have not yet announced who's won the contest. That is true. We have not yet announced, but it is now an advisement. we got to work all the equations to find out if you're faking it, kid. That ain't easy. we got 1,200 equations. Dear Mr. Shepard, when the late pro... When I, why do I get this stuff in the mail? Listen to this one. Dear Mr. Shepard, when the late Professor Alan Nevins of Columbia, the official biography of Henry Ford, and <laughs> going over <laughs> the private papers of the automobile manufacturer, came across letters written by John Dillinger, 
attesting to the, quote, getaway power of the Ford. As far as I know, Mr. Ford never used this testimonial to advertise the qualities of his automobile. Thank you. Well, that's all we need. It's very nice. I'm glad to know that. <laughs> John Dillinger writing the Ford Company. Dear Mr. Ford. Hey, Red, the baby face. How do you spell Ford? It's a Ford, ain't it, with a T? A T, yeah, yeah, you bird. Dear Mr. Ford, we have used your V8, and it has a good getaway. I have used it for making five different burglaries, and it has... <laughs> you can use this in an ad if you want. See my agent. Uh, here's one. Listen to this letter now. Now, I, I'm, I'm just reading here. I'm holding them up so you see I'm not inventing them. Dear Shep, having been in the slam for close to seven years, I firmly believe that your show has saved me from crossing over that fine line that separates the sane and the insane. This is written from the slammer. You know what the slam is? Yes, sir, the big plink. It says, uh, you have, uh, your show has helped me from crossing over the fine line that separates the sane and the insane. I was turned on to you about five years ago, and since then I have been a faithful listener with the exception of several stints in isolation. While, <laughs> while your stories are satiric and at times excruciatingly hilarious, they also contain large amounts of that most elusive of elements, truth. The one who values truth. Odd that that statement may seem coming from me. You are one of the few persons I can listen to without fear of hearing a lot of patronizing bull. You are, to put it simply, so he says, there's one story that touches on my line of business, which is one of my favorites. That is the time you were caught in a shootout between a cop and a bandit in Philly, I believe. Well, yes, sir. He goes out to talk about it. Sounds like something happened to him. Except that he was on the other end of the... That Magnum. <laughs> 57 Magnum. Dear Mr. Shepard, about two weeks ago, let's see. That Jews harp, Shepard, and nose flute are really groovy. When I was a kid, we had not yet seen a Jews harp. I had a real magical picture of what one was like. Nearly all Southerners pronounce it Jews harp, and I thought it was so long involved thing by Montaigne about the Jews harp. This is a, did you know that Montaigne wrote an essay on the Jews harp? He did. That's all I wanted to know. It says, uh, Dear Shep, this is from... Oh, here's a great one. Listen to this one. From the University of Chicago. Dear Shep, right now I'm listening to you on your radio show, tapes of which are broadcast daily on WHPK, the University of Chicago campus station. Yes, maybe you didn't know that my show's heard on around 40 or 50 college stations around the country. Well, this was the university scene. It's written on the University of Chicago stationery. It's a great letter. It says, you're talking about that weird sensation one feels when standing in a place where some famous event happened or when some legendary figure used to walk around in the distant past. Man, I know exactly what you mean. My first year at the University of Chicago... I lived in Hitchcock Hall, the oldest dorm on campus. I found out that during the 1920s, a very famous University of Chicago student lived in my very room. Can you guess who it was? It says, do you remember the movie Compulsion? I lived in the room once occupied by Nathan Leopold half of the famous team of Leopold and Loeb, murderers of little old Bobby Franks. Clarence Darrow defended my two fellow alumni 
and they got off with life imprisonment in one of the most famous criminal cases in American judicial history. For a whole year, I did physics homework, wrote term papers, ate pizza, and drank uh, cheap bourbon in the very room where Leopold read Nietzsche and found and formed his ideas on the omnipotence of superior intellect right in this room. While I slept and where I slept every night for nine months, Leopold and Loeb made the plans to prove their supremacy by murdering a person and getting away with it. <laughs> you know the famous case. You heard the case. This guy lived in the very room. He said, uh, yes, he says, I lived in the same room once occupied by a famous murderer. Yes, Shep, I know exactly what you mean. Dum, da dum, bum. Bum, ba -dum, bum, ba. Let's see. Uh, here's another one. Here's a lady went to a show. Here's one, uh, dear Shepherd. Uh, this is from Deer Isle, Maine. Dear Shepherd, do you come in up here in Deer Isle, Maine? Sometimes you fade out. Sometimes you don't fade out. But I thought you might want to know what's happening up here in Maine. It says, the Bangor woman, obviously upset, phoned Brewer Police. That's a town in Maine, Brewer Police. Now, you listening, Lee? The Bangor woman, obviously upset, phoned Brewer Police to say that she'd been talking to a Brewer friend on a telephone. When the conversation ceased and she heard gasping sounds at the other end of the line... <laughs> Patrolman J. Anderson rushed to the home in question, and he knocked. Got no immediate response when he knocked. And then he looked inside, through the curtains in the front door. He was able to confirm that the woman was indeed lying on the floor beside her telephone. Before attempting to break down the door, Anderson tried knocking again. And to his surprise, the victim rose and came to the door. She explained that her friend had been talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking to her for more than two hours and that she had simply fallen asleep. Dum, 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 dum. That's what happens up in Maine. Here's a great-looking letter. <laughs> Are you enjoying these letters? Listen to this one. Dear Jean, this is great. It's written in pencil on this blue-lined notebook paper, you know, the kind used to come in the tablets with the Indian on the front there, see? It says, Dear Gene, I am writing to you because I like you so much. I listen to your show every night. I am eight years old and in the third grade. My teacher is Mrs. Gilligan. She is very nice. I'd like you to repeat the story. Hey, you spell it with two R's, kid. The story about the boarding house. I liked it very much. Gene, may I have your picture? Love, Margaret. Margaret. <laughs> She's eight. <laughs> she liked my story about the boarding house. Now, dear Shepherd, now figure this one out. Dear Shepherd, please air this recipe to your New York audience. Reality sandwich. Get out your pencil and paper, ladies. It's time now for a recipe here. Now, why did he send it to me? I don't know. Listen. Reality sandwich. Two pieces of toast, preferably wheat. Margarine or butter to taste. Peanut butter, preferably chunky. Jam, hopefully grape. Two easy over fried eggs. 
Now here's what you do. Butter both pieces of toast, spread peanut butter on each piece, and then the jam. Without breaking the yolk of the two fried eggs, place both fried eggs on one side. It is important that the yolks are not broken until absolutely necessary because they will flow out of the sandwich if you don't watch out. While eating the sandwich, hold the edges of the pieces of toast together firmly in order to seal in as much of the juice as is possible. It is suggested to eat the sandwich rapidly in order to obtain as much of the contents as is possible. Now, this is history of the reality sandwich. Although the reality sandwich has been a possibility for quite some years now, it was only discovered a few years ago by Greco, a student of the former Mount St. Paul College, while sitting in the cafeteria when he discovered a sandwich. However, it was only a thought at the time on his part. The first person to actualize the reality sandwich was a friend of his and mine named Ed, whose courage is on a higher plane than that of a commoner man. He says, uh, we now have reality sandwiches every couple of days, and it is just great. He says, please try one of them, but wear a bib when you try it. Good. Now, that's the kind of stuff I get. Now, you, you, you see why sometimes, dear Shepherd, you, you, you know, sometimes I come in, I have this funny look on my face. That's right. Dear Shepherd, I listen with great interest to your program of Friday night that you, as you expose to all of America the interesting and doubtless exciting news stories that never made the 6 o'clock news. It says, if you've ever wondered what type of news makes the front page of small suburban newspapers such as ours here in Westport, normally the front page features such pieces as a duck makes nest in chimney. That's a front-page news item in our town. Or town fire truck gets a lube job. The latter was would most likely include a two-page spread of photographs of the event. After all, the people have a right to know. Here's a typical news story of our town of Westport that shows two guys standing next to a garbage truck. And in front of them is a dead bear. Yeah, it says, here's the item. Bear from nowhere. Albert Cusio, Sr., right, a Westport garbage man for over 20 years, said he has found some strange things in his truck from time to time, but nothing like this dead 250-pound black bear, which somebody dumped into his truck Wednesday night while it was parked near his home off East State Street. Police yesterday still did not know who had gotten rid of the dead bear, which had been dead for some time and was beginning to smell somewhat. State game warden Brian Johnson of Georgetown said it is perfectly legal to kill black bears. However, he does not know how this one got in the garbage truck. So uh, that's, uh, we'd like to salute Westport out there, Philadelphia with its belly dancers, and the eight-year-old kid who wants to hear more about boarding houses. That must remind her of her home or something, I don't know. And the guy that's in the slam who <laughs> likes the story about the shootout in Philadelphia because it's in his line of business. And he really is. That's on prison stationery, by the way. It's signed by the censor. Yes, uh, oh, yes, I see. Speaking of news that never gets on, it says, Melbourne, Australia, dangerous sex offenders are being given, being given injections of female, female hormone in Australia. Yes, sir, to reduce sex drive. That could cause other problems, though. Get too much of that, and the next thing you know... So, you know, yeah, yeah, it's just you pick it up as you go, you know. Six of one half does the other, you know. Hope for the best. I just thought you liked it. Have you ever wondered why I've got a funny look in the eye when this stuff keeps coming in over the transom? Yeah, I've been pursued by the Rosicrucians now for over two months. Want to let me in on the secrets of the universe there, you know. You can let it in there. 
course, I, I, I got another letter from that place with the 50 art poses. Yeah, it's uh, beautiful. They also sent me a pillow. The lady sent me a pillow that says, Gene Shepard, genuine art student on it. So, uh, you know, everything. You, you figure it's all going to work out for the best, right? You think it's going to work out for the best, huh? If I work on my short irons, that's right. That'll work. <laughs> Johnny. Oh, here's an ad from the Daily Record of Parsippany, New Jersey. An electric bed is for sale for $100. Don't ask me what the hell an electric bed is, but I have an idea. Pretty fantastic. That's a, that's a, a pornothopter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is WOR New York. Stay tuned for Lester Smith and the News. The news in detail on the hour from the WOR Newsroom. A small